Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Good to, get, good to see you, and uh, good to be together with you. Welcome everybody over in Pewaukee, and those of you joining us online. Good to be one church in multiple locations. Before I get started, I just want to say I am just so thrilled and uh, just so grateful for the huge response to the offering giveaway uh, last weekend. That is awesome. Way to go, uh, River Glen. And I just love what that says about uh, your heart and the heart of this church. And I can't wait to see how God uses it to change more lives. And uh, today's also the first birthday of uh, Pewaukee. And uh, we're just so proud of uh, Pastor Dave and the team over at Pewaukee and the way God's working in and through that church uh, location and uh, looking forward to the bright future that God has in store uh, for all of you. Well, today we're launching a new series. It's called uh, Battle Ready, and we're going through the New Testament book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the uh, church in the ancient city of Ephesus. It's six chapters long. It's a quick read. Hope you'll uh, pick up a Bible and read through it. And uh, it, is, it has everything in it. Paul included everything in it that you need to know that's really important about following Jesus in just six chapters. And if you read it, you're going to find the first half. He focuses on what God has done for us through the gospel. And then the second half, Paul focuses on some of the most practical instructions, some of the most practical teaching on topics like marriage, family, conflict, anger, prayer, temptation, and on and on. And so what many people do is they divide up Ephesians, and they say the first half is theological, second half is practical. But here's the approach we're going to take in this uh, series. The whole book, all six chapters, is about survival for Christians living in difficult and even hostile environments. Now, in many ways, Ephesus was a very impressive city. It was the second largest city in the world at that time, about 250,000 people, had a strategic location on a seaport, making it a great trade hub in the Roman Empire. Many of the top scholars in the world lived here because they had one of the largest libraries in the world. So it was a very impressive city, but it was also a corrupt city. Sex trafficking, prostitution were common. It was very open spiritually. They housed over 50 temples to a variety of different pagan gods. And I bring this up because sometimes we can approach the Bible thinking that it was written to people who lived out in the sticks, who, you know, country bumpkins that were out of touch with the real world. But the people in Ephesus lived fast paced, high-pressure lives, just like we do. And the, the, the people weren't necessarily interested in or open to Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to these uh, followers of, of Jesus to encourage them to keep going and to stay strong. And many of us live in similar environments today that are not necessarily open or friendly to Christianity. For some of you, maybe it's your school or workplace or even your family. And this book called Ephesians will help us uh, not only uh, survive, but thrive in those uh, places. And that's why we're calling it Battle Ready, because life is a battle for all of us. I I don't know anybody who isn't battling something, struggling with something. Maybe it's conflict at work or school. Maybe it's an ongoing struggle with an illness or infertility. For some, it's the battle of having lost a loved one or a child 
and that ache just continues. Or maybe it's guilt from a past failure. For others, it's a battle with anxiety or depression. I can tell you after working 30 years as a pastor that everybody struggles with with something. Everybody battles something. Every marriage, no matter how good it is, struggles with something. Every family struggles with something. But in Jesus, we have access to a new life and a new identity that prepares us for every battle that we face. And that's what we're going to talk about in this uh, series. Now, I want to begin with this question uh, right here, because this is the question Paul addresses in the first chapter in this letter to the uh, church in, in Ephesus. It's really a question about your sense of identity. Who am I? I want us to spend a little time with this question today and ask yourself, where do you get your sense of identity? I think many times we look in the mirror to answer this question, or maybe we look at the person next to us, a relationship to answer this question, or maybe we look at what we do for a living, or we look at external achievements for our identity. But those things are unstable and uncontrollable, and they can slide out from under you. So what is it that you build your identity on? What do you lean your identity against? If I'm being honest, I can, I can wrap my identity around this church and how the church is, is doing. And when we're you know, doing well and the church is reaching more people and, and, and growing, I feel good about my identity. And then times when the church isn't going so well, I might not feel as good about my identity, which is a dangerous game to play. Leaning your identity against your occupation because, because uh, it can just slide out from under you. Or maybe some of you find your identity in uh, being a mom or a dad, but you know, those times when you don't feel like you're being a very good mom or dad, it can lower your sense of identity. But then when you feel like you're, you're, you're good, you're being a good mom or dad, a good parent, it elevates your sense of identity. Our sense of identity goes up and down because we tend to take too much credit when things go well and we accept too much of the blame when things don't go so well. So here's what Paul does in Ephesians chapter one to make all of us battle ready. He tells us to build our identity on something much more durable and substantial than external circumstances. Now, I'm not going to take time to read the entire first chapter. I hope that you'll do that on your own. But I want to focus on a single verse, verse 4, where Paul says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I want you to think about that verse. I want you to just marinate in that uh, verse. Whether you understand it or believe it, let this sink in. Paul says, you were chosen in advance. That's an incredible thought. That there was never a time, never a time when, when, when God didn't know you and uh, love you. Uh, for as long as God has existed, he has known you and cherished you and planned to save you. You know, we don't really have other relationships that work that way or other areas in our life that work that way. Typically, we get our sense of identity based on something that we do or how we perform. And so it's difficult for us to get our mind around this idea that God loved us in advance of anything that we could do. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think God chose to love you in advance? Uh, do you think it's because God, God knew that you know, you had uh, great potential 
Uh, did God choose to love you in advance because he knew that you would make a great Christian? You know, you'd make a great leader and, you know, God said, I've got to have him on my team. I've got to have her on my team. But look at this verse in the Old Testament where God explains why he chose Israel. He said, it was not because uh, you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. God says, I didn't choose you because, you know, you were great. You're great because I chose you. In other words, God didn't choose you because of your potential. Or, or how about this? Did God choose you in advance because he knew that you would have a, a good heart? He knew that you would be lovable. You, you say, I've made some mistakes in my life, but, um, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as other people. I've, I've got a good heart, a teachable heart. But later in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you were dead in your sin. Yeah, you, you were all dead in your sin. And there's not levels of dead, right? Dead is dead. In other words, God didn't choose you, didn't choose to love you because you were good or better than others. And God didn't choose to love you in advance because he knew that you were going to choose him. Some people look at this verse and they think that it means God looks down the corridor of time and he says, I know that Ben is going to choose to follow me, so I'm going to go ahead and choose Ben in advance. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says that God's love rested on all of us even before the world began and long before your mom or dad thought of you. You know, there's really no explanation for it. God, uh, other than God chose to love you, God decided to love you. God chose to love you in advance because God is loving. I don't fully understand it or can't fully explain it, but it's awesome to think about how God says, Ben, before you could do anything for me to prove yourself worthy, you are worthy in my eyes. Let me get a little bit nerdy with you. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 14. In the original language, it's actually one really long run-on sentence. Yeah, uh, Theologians love it. English teachers, not so much. But uh, translators have actually added periods and punctuation to make it easier for us to read. But it's one run-on long sentence in the original uh, language. It's, it's like Paul felt so excited about the fact that God chose to love us in advance that he can't stop writing this sentence. There are 24 verbs and action phrases in this uh, sentence. And uh, God does 20 of them. We only do four of them. It says God blesses us, chooses us, adopts us, pours out his grace for us, uh, purchases us, showers us with kindness. He unites us with Jesus. He works everything out. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And, and on and on, Paul goes talking about what God does for that for us. Compare that to these four things, these four, four actions that we take. Look at this. We listen. Uh, we receive. We believe and we uh, trust. D doesn't that take the load off of us? I mean, God has already done the heavy lifting. And there's not anything in chapter one that is based on your performance. There's not anything in chapter one that's based on your ability to be uh, lovable. I like the way that Pastor J.D. Greer summarizes chapter one. He says, we did all the sinning and God did all the saving. 
That's good news, isn't it? God says, I've chosen you. Would you just receive this from me? I want you to receive it as a gift, and I want you to believe it and hold on to hope. Let that inform your identity. Paul says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Look at this next phrase, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. The word holy there means set apart, reflecting God's uh, nature. Without fault means blameless. I wonder, do you see yourself that way? Do you feel holy and without fault? Uh, Let's do something together, both campuses. I want you to just turn to somebody next to you, okay, and just, just go ahead and say to them, you are holy and without fault. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Take a moment. All right, some of you did not believe a word of that. You're like, okay, I'll do this because he said to do it. You're holy and without fault. Because I know I have faults and so do you. But do you know what makes all the difference? It's these three words right here. Look at these. In his eyes. In God's eyes, you're holy and blameless and without fault. In God's eyes, on a scale of one to ten, you're a ten. You're a ten. I didn't really... I didn't really comprehend or understand this concept until, until we had kids. We have three kids, Taylor, Ryan, Will. And I love our kids. I mean, I love hanging out with our uh, kids. Now, they're not perfect. I mean, I know that. Believe me, I know that. But I, choose, I, I look at my kids differently because I love my kids. And uh, I love our new granddaughter. Here she is, uh, uh, Emily. She just turned... Uh, Three months uh, old. I promise this is the last picture I'll show of uh, Emily. But uh, a couple minutes after, after they took this picture, Emily filled her diaper, you know, right there in my lap. She cut loose. And she didn't get embarrassed. She didn't turn red. Hopefully she'll grow out of that at some point. But uh, to me, she looks, she looks great. I mean, she looks beautiful. Uh, she looks perfect in, in, in my eyes. And Paul says... God sees you that way. God looks at you differently as holy and without fault. And it's not based on your performance. It's not based on your your lovability. You're perfect in his eyes because he loves you. Do you know how God does it? It, it, it's, It's really, it's all about these two words here. Look at this. In Christ. Throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul uses this phrase again and again. In Christ. In Christ. Through Christ, because it changes everything. It means that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfection of Jesus, who who died on the cross as a payment for all of our sin, because we are now in Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've done it. If you're in Christ, God forgives your past, your present, and your future sin. And God credits you with the perfection of of Jesus. That's how much God loves you. Let that inform your identity. Build your identity on that. And it gets even better in the next verse. Paul says, God decided uh, in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The word adopt here, it means that we were not part of the family. And God, God decided to bring us into the family with all the rights and responsibilities and inheritance attached to it. 
making you his child through Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've seen this video. It made the rounds uh, about a, a year ago. Uh, this video of a little girl whose uh, foster parents surprised her by telling her that they have decided to adopt her. And uh, I, I love her reaction. Take a look at this uh, short video. One more gift. We have one more gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you carefully open it up? There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> her response. I watched that over and over this week. And it made me think that sometimes we lose our sense of awe. We lose our sense of wonder over what God has done for us. We forget how lost and hopeless we were without God and how God had no obligation, but he chose to fully adopt us into his family through Jesus. Those of you who've adopted or maybe you know somebody who has adopted the child may not share your biology, your DNA, but are they yours? Absolutely, they're your child with all the rights and responsibility and inheritance attached uh, to it. Sometimes parents who adopt a child will, will say something like, all the other parents were given a child. I was actually given a choice. And I chose you. And that's the gospel. That's the word Paul uses to describe what God has done for us. He chose to adopt us into his family through Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you've done or what you currently do. It doesn't matter what someone else has done to you or where you get your sense of identity. And it doesn't matter if you've even given up on God. Because God hasn't given up on you. God says, you're one of my kids. And in Jesus, I see you as, as holy and without fault. And then Paul wraps up this long sentence by saying, and, and, when, you believed in, 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 and when you believed in, in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. God guarantees that he's purchased you and fully adopted you into his, his family. And it's kind of like when you buy a house. And the real estate agent tells you that, uh, you know, we need to give some earnest money with your offer. So the seller knows that you're not going to walk away from your promise to buy their, buy their home. And like earnest money, do you know what God does to guarantee that he'll keep his promise to you? It says, Paul says, God puts himself into you. Yeah. God puts the best part of himself into you. Through the, through the Holy Spirit. And he says, I guarantee you, I've purchased you, and I will come through on every single promise. Let that inform your identity. And so this whole section 
really applies to our identity. Let me ask you again, what are you leaning your identity up against? Is it a job? Is it a role? Is it a relationship? And does it keep sliding out from under you? Because you have an enemy who specializes in identity theft. And he will do whatever, whatever it takes to try and derail you and twist up your sense of identity. That's why Paul says, build your identity on the fact that God loves you and chose you in advance. And when we embrace this truth, then we can begin to live from our sense of identity, from our new identity, instead of for our identity. And that makes a huge difference. But I would guess that many of us here would admit, sometimes I don't feel holy and without fault. Sometimes I don't feel fully chosen and loved and forgiven and adopted. I mean, it's one thing to know it in your head, but it's another thing to really feel it deep in your heart, deep in your soul. One of the reasons I think it's difficult to feel our new identity is because the effects of sin can persist and last a long time. I mean, God forgives all and all sin, every sin. He forgives theft, dishonesty, Divorce, sexual sin, abortion. God forgives all sin, all of it, but the guilt and the shame and the regret, they can persist and uh, linger and block us from embracing and really enjoying the, the new identity that we have in Jesus. So how do you go from intellectually understanding your new identity to really feeling it in your soul and in your heart? Well, here's a couple of challenges. Here's the first one. Saturate your mind with God's truth all week long. I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 1 every day this week and reflect on what God has, has done uh, for you so that you are chosen and loved and forgiven and adopted. Reflect on how God sees you as holy and without fault because every day we get bombarded with negative messages that can distort our sense of identity. Counter those messages every day by saturating your mind with God's truth. For some of us, I think just slowing down and reading scripture will help us embrace our new identity. We've also are offering a new resource for this series. We created a video curriculum that goes along with this series for small groups. It's real simple, you can just go to our website, click on the resource page, and then battle ready, click on battle ready uh, uh, curriculum. These video resources, I think, will help you understand and apply this teaching um, and so that you can embrace your new identity in Jesus. We also have some new groups that are, that are launching using this curriculum, two in Waukesha, one in Pewaukee. If you'd like to find out more, just stop at the connect wall in the lobby after the, after the service. You can also use this curriculum as an individual uh, or with your family. And don't miss a week of this series. Each weekend will make you battle ready uh, for whatever difficulties that you face in life. Here's the second challenge, and that is to live from your new identity. God wants our new identity to change the way that we live. God wants us to follow and practice the teachings of Jesus. And that's going to help us feel chosen and loved and forgiven and adopted. I think this is why the first step of following Jesus is baptism. In baptism, we reenact what Jesus did through his death, 
his burial and his resurrection to give us a new identity. When we go under the water, we, we, it's, it's as if we wash away our, our sin and our old identity and we come out of the water as a new person with a new identity. Baptism will help you feel your new identity and it will help you live from your new identity, not for it. And if you'd like to get baptized, we're actually having uh, baptisms coming up here in, in three weeks on the weekend of November 2nd and 3rd. It's real simple. We've got everything that you need here. Just fill out the uh, uh, welcome card in the seat back in front of you in the green section there. Check the box for baptism and then put that card in the offering bag or drop it off at the uh, welcome center. Now, we still sin after baptism. We still fail after baptism. But it doesn't change our new identity in Jesus. And our, our, our new identity will help you. It helps you to, to get back up, keep moving forward. I heard a story about this told by a dad, a story about his son. When his son was 17 years old, he uh, was out with a friend and he got in some trouble. He got arrested. I think it was for vandalism. The dad got a call from the police department. They said, you need to get down here right away. They were still, they were still on the scene. So he gets in the car and drives down. He could feel his heart pounding in his chest, wondering what has his son done? What kind of trouble is it? He pulls up on the scene. He sees two police cars with the lights on, back doors open. Immediately, he spots his son in the back seat of the police car. He's handcuffed, crying, looking down at his feet in shame. And immediately, this dad feels upset. What, what, did, my, what did my son do? Um, you know, why is he in this trouble? I raised him better than this. And as he walked toward the boy, he saw the father of the other boy had already arrived. He was already there. And he stood in front of his son, screaming and chewing him out, cussing him out. So this dad stooped down for a moment and he thinks to himself, I need to take a deep breath and think about what I'm going to say to my boy. Because what I'm going to say next is a pivotal moment. And I want to make sure I get this right. So he walked up to his son who wouldn't even look at him. And he uh, bent down and said, son, you need to look at me. And slowly his son looked up, looked him, looked him right in, in the eye. And he said, son, I know what you've done, but it's not who you are. I know what you've done but it's not who you are. And that's all he said. And he embraced his son because he knew that, you know, his son could get past this moment, but the words of the father would be life-shaping. And I wonder if somebody here today needs to hear that. God knows what you've done, but it's not who you are. Or God knows what's been done to you, but it's not who you are. You have a a heavenly father who chose you and loved you in advance and it is unconditional. Your identity is not based on how you're doing or how you're feeling. I'm not saying those feelings are unimportant or, or not real. But your identity is based on something that is far more stable than the emotion in front of you or what other people say about you because God says, I know what you've done, but it's not who you are. I want you to continue to, to think about your identity, your new identity, as we share communion together. Our communion is open to anybody who follows Jesus. 
But I know sometimes when we share communion, sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to pass today. I'm not, I'm not worthy uh, to participate. I, I disappointed Jesus this week by chasing after other things. or I've got too many struggles in my life right now. But listen, that's why we need communion. Communion helps us to live from our identity, not for it. Communion reminds us who we are in Jesus. Chosen, adopted, forgiven, and loved. Communion reminds us what God has done for each one of us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this uh, amazing scripture in Ephesians and how it describes what, what you've done for us to give us a new identity, our true identity. God, help us to be like that little girl in the video when she learned she was adopted. May we, may we never lose the, the awe and the wonder of that. Help us to saturate, us, saturate our minds with your truth and, and to live from our identity, not for it. Help us to listen and receive and believe and trust. And God, for anyone who just continually struggles in this area, give them a, a nudge. Prompt them. Uh, give them courage to open up and, and, and talk to one of us. Maybe talk to one of our Stephen ministers and, and be encouraged and strengthened in the truth. God, as we take communion, would you meet us in our seat right now and help us embrace our identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen.